0: podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says, so we can know what to believe. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible tells us that we are his workmanship, created for good works in Christ, and we have been given the Word of God that we might focus in, f- learn, find out what God has in store for us, and begin to live those things. So I wanna welcome you guys that are beginning to log on now. If you have a question, then you can write the word question or a question mark or a Q in front of it, and then write your question out, submit it in the comment section, reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense, that it makes that says what you want it to say, add the reference because we can take time to look it up and then we will look it up. So today we are revisiting a question that we asked last week because we had some technical difficulties and I'm really glad we're not having any right now. So the question was about the death penalty and it was pretty simple. Is the death penalty biblical? That was the question. And I want to take you to Genesis chapter nine for the first passage to look at. And I got a couple of them for us to look at. And I want to say simply, first of all, yes, the the death penalty is biblical. And I know that there are those that will argue that Jesus told the woman caught in the act of adultery, which was pen, which a penalty by death under the law. Um, Neither do I condemn you, woman who condemns you. Neither do I condemn you. I don't think Jesus was trying to to, to remove the death penalty for murderers by forgiving her, or the fact that God didn't take the life of David when David murdered someone. Um, God can certainly be gracious and merciful if he chooses to be. And so can the court if there are situations or circumstances that are extenuating. But when we're just talking about a general overview, is the death penalty biblical? And the Bible is what we wanna live by. We don't want to live, we don't want to live, look by culture. We don't want to live by what culture says. We want to live by what the Bible says, but we want to rightly divide it. So this is Genesis chapter nine. They've just gotten off of the boat, the flood is done, and God's now establishing some rules for them. One of the things he talks to them about is shedding blood. He says in verse five, for surely your lifeblood will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I require it and from the hand of every man. God's saying, that when a life is taken, life is in the blood, and when a life is taken, I am going to demand it. If a beast kills someone, that beast will be killed. If a man kills someone, that man will be killed. It's a reckoning that God's demanding here. Now, that's an interesting word, uh, which means, um, it means God's paying you back for it. It's It's not corrective. It is a penalty for what you've done, a reckoning. And uh, it goes on to say uh, then, um, for the hand of man, from the hand of man, every man's brother, I will require a life, the life of a man. So again, here we are told how it's gonna happen. From the hand of a man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of the man. And then it gives this in quotes, because this is a principle that's gonna be sent out all around the world from these eight people whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Now, this isn't murder. When, when someone murders, they're taking a life unjustly and then they are killed, but that's not murder. That's a killing because of what they've done. And I realize that people will say, well, you believe in the sanctity of life, but then you're for the death penalty. It doesn't make sense. And we could talk about a lot of things that don't make sense on the other side of that argument as well. But the fact is that the shedding, it says here, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. And then it goes on to say, for in the image of God, he is made. That is the reason. You are made in the image of God. And the worst thing you can do for some, to someone is to take their life, is to steal their days away from them, to steal them away from the people whom they love. And God knows that. It goes on to say in verse seven and as for you be fruitful and multiply so he continues on um, with different thoughts there let me take you to another verse here a couple of other verses in the new testament that i think will help again the question we're asking here is is it biblical that's the question we want to ask in everything what do the scriptures say about how we're supposed to live so i want to read you a couple of passages the first one is out of romans this one says for rulers are not a terror in the context of this is romans 13 uh and it's verses three through four the context is god telling us that he has put governments in place for our protection and that we are to obey those who rule over us. And the only time we don't obey them is when they are telling us to do something that is against what God has told us as Christians that we are supposed to do. Then we would stand against the government. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for god uh, for he does not bear the sword in vain and he who does not bear the sword in vain is him avenging the life of the one who's been killed with the sword it, it's clear by the context it goes on to say for he is god's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil now the bible says vengeance is mine i shall not repay so i don't go out and attack someone but i also don't uh, allow the the government to avenge for me. I allow them to be able to be the ones to, that's, that God's put in place to be able to, to bring to pass that um, Genesis chapter 3. Now, this is Deuteronomy 19, 11 through 13, and this is under the law but we get some principles here that help us to understand why God would require the blood of someone who kills someone else or why someone would demand that person be killed who killed someone else. It says in Deuteronomy 19, 11 through 13, but if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, and that doesn't mean just sneakily lying in wait for him, it means he's plotting, against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, these are cities of refugees, a refugee, that you could run to if you accidentally killed somebody so that you could get a fair hearing because the the family members in their day that the law was given would be the ones who would avenge. Then the elders of the city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the Avenger of blood, that he may die, <clears throat> that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel. And so here, your eye shall pity, not pity him. God's saying, look, this has been done and you need to do this. And it says, uh, put, um, put away, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with you. So it seems like it's connected, that if a land isn't just to, to people around that are living in the land and protecting them, that it doesn't go well with, the, well with the land. And this would be the opposite of what some people are saying. They would say, trying to defend the death penalty, that it's a cruel thing to do. But on the on the opposite, you live better when you have a society that demands the death of someone who kills someone um, for for several reasons that we won't go into completely. Now, if you have questions about it, If you have a different stance, great. We would love to hear from you on that. I'd like to ask you guys to keep this comment section closely connected to the things that we're talking about. And I'll try to monitor the comments a little bit. And if I see something that is said um, that I think is worthy of kind of pointing out that you said that, I will go ahead and bring it in and cover it. Doesn't mean I'm going to bring in all of them, right? But periodically, I will do that. But I appreciate you guys. Really glad that you're here. Um, In the uh, program that I use to stream to different platforms, they've made some changes. And so we're having some issues with Facebook, but it looks like we're getting more Facebook people here this time than we did last week. All right, so our next question is from Andre. Andre got first again. Uh, Andre says, uh, "It is it possible for a believer to be faithless? We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Yet, if we are faithful, he is, if we are faithless, he is faithful. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13? Or is 1 Corinthians 12, 9 the answer? All right, well, thank you for giving me those references. So yeah, we're saved by grace through faith and that's how we're saved. However, is is 2 Timothy talking about something, is it talking about something other than salvation? Remember, faith can be connected into receiving from God. That is not just salvation. And thank you, Andre, for your question. Let's go ahead and take a look at these. So that's, um, first of all, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 13. Let me go take time to pull these up. Um, 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 13, 11. And I've got that on here. And we're probably going to go back just a little bit, try to read this in context a little bit. Um, So, boy, let me see if I can find, um, uh, uh, okay. So he's talking about grace. All right, here we go. This is verse 11. This is a faithful saying. If we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are, and also if we, uh, yeah, Revelation also tells us, that he is going to confess our name If we're overcomers, he will confess our name before the father and the uh, angels. What, what a great promise. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So for what I'm reading there, I would take that as not connected to salvation. That is, we are going through life and God has given us promises. Even at times when we are faithless, God cannot deny himself and he will bring his promises to pass for those who may be struggling with faith. I don't think it means for for the faith of salvation. Now you asked if First Corinthians if First Corinthians twelve nine is the answer. Let's go ahead and take a look at that, Andre. So First First Corinthians twelve nine. So it says. All right, let me put this up on the screen for you again. spirit so 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says, we'll see if this is the answer uh, to another faith that seems by the same spirit to another, the gifts of healings by the same spirit to another, workings of miracles. So I take it that you're asking whether these gifts that God's going through here, whether the gift of faith is God being able to give us faith when we don't have faith. I don't know that 1 Corinthians 12, 9 is a reference to that, to the whole idea of even if we are faithless, God remains faithful. I think it means as we walk through life and God's given us so many promises that God's going to keep his promises to his children even if my faith wavers, even if I I begin to doubt. It's not talking about the faith that can save you, it's talking about the just living by faith, Habakkuk, Romans, right, Galatians. The just shall live by faith. But there are times when we struggle and even the, the the faith the size of a mustard seed can cause a mountain to be removed and cast into the sea. All right, so hopefully that answers your question, Andre. I appreciate it, uh, walking by faith, trusting him, such an important issue. And um, if you have a follow-up question on that, if I didn't quite give you the clarity that you were looking for, you have something you would like clarified, um, go ahead and ask it, all right, Andre? But I do appreciate you. Um, So we have a question from Dale. Um, Dale asked a question that we get quite often about what if someone commits suicide? So there could be a lot of things you're asking about this question. Um, There are just a handful of people in the Bible who commit suicide. And Saul is one of them. Judas is another one of them. Saul, God had stopped talking to. He fell on his own sword in battle. Ahithophel fell. Who is a type of Judas, a betrayer? He was a betrayer of David, uh, killed himself as well. Um, if you are a non believer, if you're a, not a Christian and you commit suicide, then you will go into the grave and afe- eventually face judgment by God. Um, are you asking, can a believer commit suicide? And to that, I would say, it is possible to be so distraught as a Christian that. You would be, misunderstand things and take your own life. However, I would, I would say, we, um, I, I'm certainly not, people will accuse me when I say that, that I'm giving justification for some to take their life and I'm not at all by any means. I think that it's a huge mistake. I think the answer, if you're, if you're feeling frustrated, you don't know what to do, life's taking a turn, you've got consequences from things around you, is to surrender your life to Christ, Take whatever's coming your way and live for him. So um, uh, hopefully that answers that question. And if you are possibly thinking of suicide or someone out there is, uh, then know that there is help and we would love to help you. Uh, Talk to someone about it. Don't get lost in your own thoughts. Don't let your thoughts spiral out of control, but instead talk to somebody. It's amazing how much clarity you can get, especially if you can find somebody to talk to who is safe to be able to do that, okay? So thank you, Dale, I appreciate that. So um, we have a question for Sharon. Sharon says, Mark 4, 4. John preached repentance for sins by baptism. Why did Jews think this was sufficient rather than using animal sacrifices? So uh, it wasn't a replacement. Let's go there and we'll take a look at it. Uh, Sharon, I appreciate that. And we'll talk about what John was doing. All right. So it is in Mark four, four. Let's go to this passage and we'll bring it up for you. Mark four, four, Mark four, four. All right. So sure that it's Mark four, four. Row, row. Mark four, four. And it happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside. Um, I don't think it's Mark 4-4. Let me think if I can think about where this is at. I think what I'm gonna do rather is I'm just gonna answer your question um, without without pulling the verse up because it doesn't look like it's Mark 4-4. I'm gonna make sure I didn't make a mistake. It's not Mark 4-4. Mark 4-4 is the sower and the seed. Okay, so um, Sharon, thanks for giving me that reference. Um, so John the Baptist is preaching repentance. And I really wanted to look at at how how that is worded. Um, we know he's preaching repentance, um, and I would really love to look at how it's worded. Uh, remember, okay, let's just let's just cover baptism. So in the days of Jesus, baptism was used if you were non-Jewish and you wanted to become Jewish, not by birthright but by by believing religiously. You wanted to become a Jew. Part of the process that you would go through is a baptism. So, you baptized proselytes, those who were becoming Jewish from other nations or from, yeah, from other religions. You went through a certain process, you became baptized. So, it was to them a sign of a change. Now, remember, they had ritual baths all the time, but baptism was for someone who was a Gentile to become Jewish. And so, Paul, and so John now is using this as an example of making your heart right. Make the paths of your heart straight. And he is baptizing them as a sense of them getting their lives right to be able to meet the Messiah. Um, And he says, there's one coming after me, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to undo. Even the scribes and Pharisees come out to be baptized by John. So they didn't see this as a replacement of sacrifices. They saw it as what he was doing, which was getting people ready for a change and using a practice that they had, bringing it into Judaism for them to make a change for a deeper walk with God or for the Messiah uh, to be given to them, all right? Uh, If you have any more questions about that, and we can look at the particular wording of what is said, I always think that's helpful. Then we can look for the correct meaning of that. If one of you guys has the correct um, reference there, we'll see if we have time to be able to take a look at it. All right, thank you very much, Sharon. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys joining us. And um, also uh, keeping the chat on point. uh, uh, Again, our desire is just to seek God here and you guys can be very helpful to the questions that people have as well as you are taking time uh, to look over these questions. So we have a question from Jari. Jari says regarding demons, why is it more prevalent during Jesus's ministry and the end times as well as miracles performed today and in the Old Testament? Do you see it much yet? It still happens. Don't see it much yet. It still happens regarding demons. Why is it more prevalent during the Jesus' ministry and the end times as well as miracles performed today? All right. So just break down your question here. Let me just take the first one, Jari. All right, because um, I'm not sure what you're talking about with miracles as of today um, there. There is no deliverance from demons in the Old Testament jesus is the only one to do that and because i think jesus is delivering us from the power of darkness and during the ministry of jesus during that time in jerusalem there seemed to be a lot of demon activity during that time. And Jesus delivered them. Jesus was the light. He cast them out with a word. He would not allow them to speak, the Bible says. He had such authority over the demonic world. And remember that they are darkness and we are light. And the way you repel darkness is to be light. And so if you are thinking, well, I might have some demonic influence in my life, then don't give place to the enemy and walk in light and know that the evil one cannot touch you. And you have confidence that you'll be able to stand against those uh, demonic powers. But I have pointed out and marveled myself at why during the ministry of Jesus, there was more demon activity. Um, I don't know the connection exactly to the end times, Jari. If you have a particular scripture, um, please feel, feel free to go ahead and submit that particular scripture that you have for the last days but it is interesting that it was much more common during the time of Jesus than in the Old Testament times. And I think that helps us to understand that we aren't seeing demon possession today at the rate that they did during the days of Jesus. It doesn't seem like it anyway. Maybe they've changed their tactics because remember, there's a battle, there's a war going on, there's deception going on, and the enemy would love us to believe that there's not a supernatural world. That's what I think. So um, we have a question from Renee. Renee, good to see you. Renee says, "Um, watching these programs and attending Calvary Chapel and applying the sermons to my life have helped me. That's great. That's awesome. Renee actually has set me free from being legalistic. What other verses can I pray about to continue to help me walk with Jesus. Also, I am saved. God bless you too, Pastor Robert. Well, thank you very much, Renee. I really appreciate that. The Christian walk is just continual. You are drawing closer to Christ. It is changing. God's bringing things to light uh, over a period of time. I was saved when I was 14 years old, which was a long time ago. And I can tell you now, God's still opening up scriptures to me. As I sit down to sit down to read the Bible, just take some time to be alone with God. God will open up passages to me. I, uh, I went with my wife to Oak Creek, which is up by Sedona here. We're just taking a few days off. And I got up one morning and went out and sat outside with my coffee and got my Bible and opened it up. And I began to read through some passages. And God began to speak to me through it, so much so that I had to go get something to take notes with, um, which was my phone, I take my notes on my phone, um, because some of the things that I was reading there, I was wanting to share. That's the danger of a pastor, is that you might not first take it to yourself. But the more you are taking time to walk with God, talk with God, talk through, talk through the Lord's Prayer as an outline, Renee, and you, you may have heard me talk about that before. I think it's very important uh, if, to be to, to go get alone with God. A lot of times people will want people to pray with them and it's good to pray with one another, right? But Jesus said, go in your prayer closet and pray. When you are alone, God will see you in secret and he will reward you openly. So going for a walk with God, going onto the back porch and sitting down, and talking with him, and as I said, going through the Lord's prayer with him, covering all of those things that are there. You're asking him, deliver me from temptation, and you're praying about your own temptation because Jesus told Peter, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Know what's going on in your life. Know what you are tempted by. Watch and pray so that you're not tempted by that. All of these are things that we learn as we mature and grow with him, Renee, and it's a continual thing. People are at all kinds of different levels. And I think that God does it slow for a couple of reasons um, that we don't all of a sudden have all that information and knowledge because the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And and God had told the children of Israel that he was not going to drive out all of the wild animals all at once because it wouldn't be good for them to all of a sudden have all that land. And so God allows us to grow at certain levels and steps and we should just be satisfied to grow in that because God knows what we need. And um, after a while, we'll learn how prideful you can get if you get a hold of certain things uh, that you turn into being legalistic, like you said, Renee, that you turn into being legalistic. So do those basic things. Make sure you're getting alone, praying, talking with God. You're reading the word of God. Um, you're delighting yourself in the Lord. You're walking in the spirit. You're abiding in him and Him or his word abides in you. Those things that we talk about, being being right with him, keeping a short account with him. When you sin, you ask him to forgive you. Doing all of those things. And then God will continue to open up the light. And I also would encourage you to study things you're interested in. So if you have an interest in the last days, then study study the last days. If you have an interest in archaeology and the Bible, then study the finds and 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 the background behind those finds that are in the Bible. It can be absolutely fascinating. But take things you are really interested in and dive into those kind of things. And uh, I'm so thankful. That I get the opportunity to be able to dive into God's Word on a weekly basis to really pour into what's being said in a text. I love unlocking what's really being said, comparing scripture to scripture, and trying to and trying to figure those things out. There are certain passages that have mystery, but I love doing that. And I think that you'll grow and you will mature, Renee, uh, as you a, as you continue to do that. And it's not about getting all things taken care of all at once. Um, but it's just about growing and walking. And you'll continue to grow and to learn more as long as you're here. And um, you will hear people say, like C.S. Lewis, um, some pastors that have lived a long time, the more I I live, the more I realize, the less I know. The more I learn, the more I realize, the less I know. And we continue to learn more and more. All right, so thank you very much. I appreciate that, Renee. Uh, We have a question here from Albert. Albert joins us from YouTube. Albert says, hello, pastor. Are we as Christians obligated to vote? Can a Christian decide not to vote if they don't want to support pro-choice candidates but have issues with pro-life candidates, other policies? Um, All right, so thank you, Albert, for your question. I really do appreciate it. So the question is, are we obligated to vote as Christians? And I, here we are in our culture, and in our culture, our vote counts. And because there are such atrocities that are taking place behind the scenes, especially as you said, in the pro-life area, uh, I I will never vote for someone who is who is who wants to take the life of a baby in the womb. I will vote for candidates that I don't agree with or I don't like their character. I will vote for them if they will stand for the life of the child in the womb now this is a paradox to some people they just can't simply understand how we would even do it but here's the thing for me albert and why i think it's it's important for us as christians to make sure that we do vote now because this is the issue and our votes are going to states are now deciding what they want to do with this there's talk about codifying roe v wade um which would mean making it the law of the land, which is not the way to go. You don't codify Roe v. Wade. You go ahead and pass your own law. That's what Congress can do. They can pass a law. You get enough votes to do it, you can do it, but it's gonna to have to be debated. And that's what they don't wanna do. So they wanna to try to codify Roe v. Wade without any kind of de- a debate, and they're not gonna be able to do that. So the debates have gone to the states. So we want the, we, we believe that an unborn child is made in the image of God. Taking away their life is not an option. Uh, except for the life of a mother. And the uh, th- there's a lot of lies that are being told about these candidates that are pro-life, um, that they are against it even for the life of the mother. And those are just, they're just lies. And I I don't know how, yeah, I guess you can lie. I guess you can lie in, um, in commercials for, in political commercials. I hate the political season. I am not a political person. I don't believe I believe there's much more power in God and that God has has had mercy on the United States that has had this huge Holocaust that has taken place. But I do believe that we should vote. Now, this is my own personal opinion. I can't go back to scriptures where it says you have to be a part of the voting process. I'm just saying this is a a matter of defending the innocent. And so I believe that our vote is important and that we should do it. Now, what but like you said, if you don't want to vote for the pro-choice candidate, but you have issues with uh, pro-life candidates um, and other politicians, yeah, I understand that. But issues are are one thing, and uh, this this issue is the main issue. It's surprising to me that God hasn't judged the United States over it, because this particular holocaust on a marginalized person, the the unborn is comparable to any other mass murder event on the face of the earth. And that God has not judged us as a nation for it yet. And maybe he has. Maybe we're seeing some of that judgment now. But the fact that God really hasn't dealt with it, I think that we are making a statement when we vote for someone who is pro-life. And that's the reason I vote. That's why I vote now. Once that's taken care of and my vote doesn't affect that issue anymore, then I'll reevaluate why I vote and what are important uh, issues are important for me. But right now, this is the issue and I will do everything that I can do to rescue the unborn, I will do everything that I can do to help women that are are in a crisis pregnancy and I want to come alongside and help them, I don't want to be The hypocrite that fights for the baby but won't help the the girls uh i will do everything that i can do to help people understand the incredible forgiveness of god in the world that we live in where we have been lied to about what's happening where young girls women have been lied to about what's happening when they are are going in and to look for this procedure all right so yeah i think our vote's important albert and um that doesn't mean you have to you I'm not telling you what to do. That's not what a pastor's job is. Um, but I am saying that it's important and I think that we should be defending um, the innocent and even if that means that we have issues with other people, all right? So thank you very much, Albert. I appreciate that, appreciate you. Uh, fact check these hands, appreciate you as well. Um, question, how do I break it to my family that I am no longer interested in practicing pagan practices, Halloween, Christmas Eve, Easter egg hunts, et cetera? All right, so fact check these hands. How do you break it to your family? All right, so you, there are a lot of pagan things that, that, that we have in our culture and our society that have taken on a new meaning, for sure. You, by your own conscience, have to decide whether or not you wanna take part in these things. Halloween, Christmas, Easter egg hunts, etc. If you have that as a conviction then i would tell your parents i'm not or well you say who are you gonna break it to break it to family yeah family um i would tell if if i were in your place i would say this is not i'm not laying a conviction on you but i believe that these things have their roots in paganism and that's something that's offensive to me and so i'm i don't want to be a part of halloween or having a Christmas tree or an Easter egg. So I would tell them that. I would I would let them know I'm not judging you for being involved in it, because this is one of those gray areas that people debate about all of the time. And so I would be very careful not trying to draw a really dark line and dividing. Um, the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, 14, about things that are things that are, are gray areas. And let me just go ahead and pull that up here. I want to read this passage to you that may help us to understand um, you. you what, what, the way you worded it was perfect. Fact check these hands. That you're not interested in it. You're not trying to lay that trip on someone else, but this is something that you've come to. So let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. This is Romans 14, uh, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dis- dispute over doubtful things. For one believes that he may eat all things, and another one who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? So we don't judge each other in their stances that they make. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike this would fit with what you're talking about. One person treats one day above another, Halloween, Christmas, whatever it might be. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So my job is to convince you of my stance, but let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe it to the Lord, um, who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and he gives God thanks. For no one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. We're all interacting with one another. And so we live our convictions. The Bible says that if something is sin for you to do it, if you think something is sin and you do it, then it's sin for you to do it, even if it's not sin. So it's very important for you to have that stand on on where you stand with that. Um, it's going to become an issue somewhat with your family because they probably want you around during Christmas or when, when the when the family gathers together on Easter they want you there and um, Halloween just again you know they, they might want you to be there um, but being able to make that stand but letting them know them know I'm not judging you guys I'm just saying for me I don't want to be a part of that for the reason I think that they're they're somehow connected to paganism. And that's the decision that you make. So that's the way I would approach it. I would make sure because they're going to immediately think that when you say I don't do it, that you're judging them for doing it. So I would go out of my way to let them know I'm not judging you. I am I'm going to turn on my do not disturb here, which I uh, forgot to do. So I got a ding, an annoying ding uh, during our Q&A all right but i would make sure to go out of your way to let them know i'm not judging you in this area this is my stance and what i believe and I, I hope i've represented you properly on what you think there all right thank you fact check these hands you certainly can ask a follow-up on it if you have a follow-up on it all right so we have a question from melissa melissa says is passing out candy celebrating halloween um yeah is passing out candy celebrating halloween question mark if so, why do churches have trick uh, trunk or treats? I was raised to believe that the holiday is Satan's day. Um, so, I I don't think passing out candy or taking a child to go to trunk or treat is a bad thing. If I on, on and and we don't call it Halloween, but our church does a harvest festival and we do trunk or treat and the kids dress up. I and there are some people that come and they're dressed as skeletons or, you know, what what whatever. I mean, we've had a lot of different people come over the years dressed in a lot of little thing different things. We've been been doing our harvest for a long time. For for me, I look at the day as something that is cultural to our setting. What it meant to someone in the past has changed. What it meant to someone and and the whole idea of Satanism is another thing that we could talk about there were people especially in the early 70s that lied about being involved in Satanism and what Satanism is and what they said it was is not what it was and these guys that said they were high priests in Satanism were not high priests in Satanism it was all lies and so and and they always had a big thing to do about about Halloween Now I, I realize people are going to be really upset that I say I look at it as what it is for me today. I don't look at it for what it might have been to someone in the past. I think that gets abused, manipulated and twisted to be able to support people's point of view. Uh, I would certainly not want to glorify Satan, glorify a a dark day. I, I don't want to do that. But For kids to be able to dress up and get some candy, that's become a day for us. Um, I don't, I don't see any problem for that. Again, it depends on what your heart is and what your heart says. And if for you, Melissa, it is something that is that is offensive to you, that is sinful to you, don't do it. And it's okay for you to do that. It's okay for you to say I don't want to celebrate that. There are certain Christians who do that, and it's okay. And uh, we get these questions every every year around this time. Uh, all I know is what it means to me uh, when I'm celebrating Christmas. I am not celebrating Saturnalia. And those who try to make a connection between the two, there is no connection. Uh, you try to make these broad sweeping connections but when you go back and you look at how they actually practice those things and what we do today, there are not those connections that are there. But these questions obviously come up. Jehovah witnesses won't celebrate any holidays. Um, a lot of Christians won't celebrate them either. And that's their choice They have the freedom to be able to do that. Um, but I think a lot of times the sweeping arguments that they make are are, are, are not legit. And what we're talking about is what we do today in our culture. And what does it mean for me? All right. So thank you very much, Um, uh, Melissa. I really appreciate that. Hopefully that's a good answer for you. And um, you're free to do as you see fit. Daniel, good to see you. Daniel says, will you have any live stream interviews or collaboration Q&A's with other speakers coming um, to the Defending Faith Conference on this platform. I think it would be really exciting. Uh, I do too. It all depends on what their schedule is like, if it's something that they can do and we can bring them on as guests during that. Um, it might be something that I do on, on, a, on a regular basis, uh, but we'll wait and see. All right, so I do plan, Daniel, in the future, um, doing some interviews Uh, that are connected with the Q&A, bringing someone on that maybe has written a book that we're interested in or that we want to highlight talking about a particular issue and um, then taking questions from people. All right. So thank you. I think that would be great as well. I really appreciate you, Daniel, and all that you do. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, We have a question from Empress Kimberly. Good to see you, Kimberly. Kimberly says, Hi Pastor, uh, Philippians two three, esteeming others better than yourself. What is the difference between serving and being subservient? Elderly parents are getting difficult. Okay, well, I'm sorry that that's the case. Um, I don't wanna be that difficult elderly parent when I get there. Um, and I don't wanna have a difficult elderly parent. Um, so what is the difference between serving and being subservient? Um, so when we're talking biblically, Um, We get to, we subject ourselves as servants. And Philippians 2 tells us that we are to put other people's interest above our own interest. And so that would include when we're caring for someone that's under our care Uh, and kind of bearing with them, long suffering, walking in the spirit, praying that you would be able to walk in the spirit so that you aren't short or not Christ-like with them and um, subservient, um, you are not never subservient because if you if it becomes subservient, then you are being forced to do it. You have to do what they say. This is you serving them. Doesn't mean you have to do what they say. And I think I'm, I'm getting the, the definition of the word correct. Um, as a pastor, I serve those that are in the body but I choose how I serve them. And sometimes someone will come and say, I want you to do this for me. And they'll be very demanding. And I'll say, no, I'm not going to do that. This is this is the way that I've chosen to serve. And there are things that I'm not doing right now because of the place that I'm in in ministry. We have others who will do it, but I don't have to be at their every command in order to be a servant to them. Um, It would be it would be to walk in wisdom. And and I, I wish we had more room and more time to talk, Kimberly, about exactly what you're dealing with, that we might be able to give you a little bit more wisdom and direction. And maybe that would be good for you to be able to do. I don't know if you have access to be able to sit down to a pastor that you trust or a good counselor that you trust that might be able to talk these things through you. But that's very helpful to be able to do because you can talk about things, talk things through. And maybe the way you've decided to deal with it isn't the best way to deal with it. And maybe someone talking with you about it might be able to help you with it. So you're not bearing the whole burden alone. And you're kind of trying to do um, the things that are out there that are um, that you can do, which might be different than the things that you're doing. All right, so I I hope that that is helpful. Um, You are doing it because you're out of love and um, you do get to choose those kind of things that you do and um, you know loving the unlovable so when someone is difficult is part of what we are called to all right kimberly thank you very much i really appreciate you uh, we have a question from daru i hope i'm pronouncing your name correctly uh, good to see you again if you are visiting here with us for the very first time Daru is not but if you are uh, then glad to have you here. You can submit a question by putting a question in front of your question. Write, write, write out your question and then reread it a couple of times and add any references you might want us to look up and we'll be able to take a look at it. All right. So, um, Daru says, Question Muslims mention the term Trinity is not used to around the end of the second century. All right, till the end of the second century. And I asked them, what is the doctrine of God called in the Quran? And they would say, Tawhid. All right. Um, I don't know anything about Tawhid, um, so I can't comment on that. Uh, the term Trinity. I don't know the first time that it comes into into view. Uh, it sounds like that may be correct that it would be the end of the second century. But I want you to think about how early the end of the second century is. So you have Jesus crucified in 30 ish, early 30s. You have Israel destroyed in the 70s. You have the Book of Revelation written in 95. And then you've got the beginning of the second century, 100 through 199. That's the second century. So it's very early on to have this concept of the Trinity, and I would say that the word being mentioned doesn't mean anything. Did early church fathers believe the concept of the Trinity? Was it is it expressed in the through the biblical writers? Did Paul believe in it? Uh, did Jesus teach it? Can we can we find the Trinity taught clearly in Scripture? That's what I'm concerned with. Um, Muslims may have a different standard by which they're looking at. But I think they want to deny the Trinity because they don't want Jesus to be God. But I think clearly the Bible teaches Jesus as God. And I think that that is the bigger question. Um, When people say, well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, it's kind of a a more base argument, uh, a lower argument. There could be much higher arguments people could make against the Trinity Um, that the word isn't used is not a good argument. Because something could clearly not be used and be taught. All right. Uh, so um, thank you. I appreciate that, and uh, good to see you guys discussing some of the questions. Um, Daru says, "Let me go ahead and bring this over. And let me see. If this is a continuation of the question you just asked. The tahid. Hope I'm pronouncing that somewhat right. Is it found in the Quran and the word?" Um, I'm not sure what that is either, um, but the components of the Trinity is shown in the Bible. Yeah, okay, yeah, so I understand that. So, yeah, I would say that it would be the same, that if they're talking about something that they believe that isn't found directly in the Quran, that the tr- Trinity would be like that. It's clearly taught in the Bible. The Bible never t- uses the word Trinity, uh, but you do see, uh, like, for example, creation attributed to the Father, to Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit. You see redemption, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You see salvation, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You see them so you see them involved in all of these three things. You also see the Holy Spirit called God, Jesus called God, and the Father obviously called God. And so we we build the doctrine of the Trinity around those things. All right, uh, maybe sometime I would love to, um, I, I would really love to do a whole maybe teaching. Maybe come in and do a live hot topic on the concept of the Trinity as taught in the scripture. Lay out a few points and a few scriptures and then take follow-up questions to it. I think it could be very helpful. All right. So thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that, Daru. So Jari says, um, regarding miracles, why don't we see more of Peter's shadow touching the hem of the garment? We don't see much miracles performed today as during the rains of Jesus, unfortunately. Well, I think that the signs of the miracles that Jesus did, Jari, are signs of his Messiahship. And the apostles were given signs for the establishment of the church. Gifts today are given as the Holy Spirit wills. And so He's the one who wills them. And if he wants to see more of those things happen, then he's going to gift people and have more of those things happen. And it seems like he's not wanting a lot of it to happen. I've I've seen people healed. I've had verified healings. My mother in law had a biopsy. It was lung cancer. They removed that lobe. It was on the the, lung, the one lung that has four lobes. They removed that lobe. Then they opened it up and there was no cancer there that the biopsy was there. Now, some may say they made a mistake in the biopsy, whatever you want to say. They were so sure that they cut her open and they took part of her lung. Now, a little later on, her daughter, my wife, was diagnosed with, with lung cancer, and we prayed for her, and the Lord didn't heal her. And she was really confident, I was really confident at one point that God was going to heal her. But God took her home and I remember when she told me it was only a couple weeks before she died, God's gonna take me. And and I said, no, no, he's not. We're, we're, we're getting through this. We're gonna get through this. But God did take her. God delivered her through it instead of delivering her from it. And that's what God does. And um, we do see miracles. They definitely are rare, but we still see them. And we should be asking God to touch and heal. We should be laying our hands on the sick and praying for them. Uh, The gifts of healings, interestingly enough, Jari, are in the plural. So it seems like like the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or the gift of administration or the gift of organization, the gift of helps. Um, The gift of helps, I guess, is in the plural. Uh, But the gifts of tongues being worded that way, gifts of healings seems to be like God gives that to a person for one person rather than just someone who can go and now they can lay hands on anybody and they're going to be healed. And um, these guys that are fakes that go around doing their their faith healing, uh, people have tried to see if they can, um, reporters have tried to see if they can find anybody that is legitimate, a legitimate healing that can be um, that can be documented and they haven't been able to find them. And on the other side of that, there's the book Miracles. And I'm trying to remember who the author is. And he has documented miracle after miracle after miracle, going to the doctors, going to the parents, going to the patient themselves and documenting their miracles and um, I will um, the name will come to me, but it is the book. There's a a new book that he's got out, Miracles. He's got more of a he's a um, he's a Ph.D. He's got more scholarly works where he documents it all and puts all the footnotes in. And then he's got a a book that's written on a more pop level where he wants to just kind of share the stories uh, that he that he has found for miracles. And there are so many miracles that have been submitted to him over a period of time that he has, has to had to turn miracles away. And it, it is really faith bolstering to read his books. Um, And he talks about miracles. He talks about why these shadow, why Paul could send a handkerchief to someone to be healed and why shadows would work for the apostles. But God doesn't operate in that way today. He talks about those kind of things. And um, of course, we don't want to put God in a box. God can do whatever God chooses to do, but he's not going to work outside of scripture. And we should never think that we are supposed demanded to do something that is a practice outside of Scripture. Doesn't mean we can't do it, but we shouldn't try to do it and make it a demand outside of Scripture. Okay? So thank you very much uh, for your question, for your follow-up there. So um Diane has a question. Uh, what about Paul casting out demons out of the fortune-telling girl? Yes. Um, So we were talking about the Old Testament not having any deliverances in it. That doesn't mean the New Testament doesn't have any deliverances in it. But you certainly don't see them in the level of Jesus' ministry. And you don't see it happening a lot in the book of Acts. Certainly as Paul takes the gospel out into the area of, I think it's Lystra, Derby. It's one of those two uh, that he runs into this demon-possessed girl that is a fortune teller finally cast the demon out of her and gets himself in trouble because of that. Uh, but we don't see any commands. G- the, the, um, Mark 16 says that we will cast out demons. Um, if, we, if we drink it into the poison, we won't die. It doesn't mean all of us will do that. It means that the church collectively will do that. And I think that that's true. And I think that Mark 16 is supposed to be, is is scripture. I do think that. Um, there's There are those who don't, but I do um, that doesn't mean that we're going to see them at the same rate that we saw them in the ministry of Jesus. And I don't think that we do. All right. So yeah, um, there's, um, uh, I'm trying to think if there's another one in the book of Acts. There's the seven brothers of Sceva that get chased out. Jesus, we know, but Paul, we know, but, but we don't know you. And they attack these guys and they flee naked and beat up by the demon possessed person which would tell us the power that Jesus has over them and that the disciples were given power over spirits as well. And uh, Paul had that. And when we encounter spirits, we have authority uh, over them. It's just not the same. All right. Um, And um, appreciate you guys encouraging one another, praying for each other. That's a really awesome thing to do. Um, So, yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, Just looking to see if we have any more questions here before we wrap it up It's about time uh, to wrap it up. It's been good to see you guys. I hope that you guys have a great week. We will get together again on Saturday, have another Q&A. So if you find questions, write them down, make a note uh, so that you can ask them. Put the scriptures in Uh, double check the scriptures just like you double check what you're writing in. Make sure that you get the right scripture that's in there for us to be able uh, to take a look at. We have a service in about an hour from now, uh, we are in the book of Revelation. We're going to be talking about the city of the the church that was in Sardis. Sardis was a very wealthy city. It was the capital of the Lydian Empire that was over that region before Pergamum was the capital of the Pergamum Empire over the same region. And um, the church at Sardis was dead. They had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. People thought they were alive, but they were dead. So it's possible to have a church that people think is alive, but is actually dead. And we're gonna talk about what Jesus had to say to that church, how to evaluate ourselves and make sure that we are alive. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some will say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? He's gonna say away from me, I never knew you. So there are people maybe like Judas who cast out demons, I was given the power over that uh, to cast them out. I have, um, this will be my last question here. We have one question from Kyler. Kyler says, um, let's see, why is it, why is it that I stay away from God, but I know that what I'm doing is wrong? I feel like I might be saved, but at the same time I do. How can I make sure to never stray away? Well, that's a a great question. And I hope I'm saying your name right, Kyler. That's a great question Uh, and a very important one. Uh, We want to delight ourselves in the Lord. We want to love him. Uh, We want to be committed to him, not when we fail. We want to not condemn ourselves because there's no condemnation in Jesus, but receive his forgiveness, confess it, and make things right with him. It's a matter of learning how to walk. And that's and that's really important how to walk in Christ, because this is a marathon. It's not something that we are to do just, you know, for for a year, year and a half, unless you go to be with the Lord, but we're going to do it for the rest of our lives. And we are living for Christ and we are dying to ourselves. And if you have that desire to live for him, that's because you've been born again. That's the evidence that we have been been born again, because people don't want to just all of a sudden live for God. They want to live for themselves. But when you invite Christ in, when you receive him, John 1 12, as many as receive him, he gives the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name, then your life is transformed and suddenly you want to do the things that God wants you to do. And uh, you begin to walk with him, keep things right, make sure that you are in fellowship with people around you. All of these things are really important for you to keep staying close to Jesus. And I'm really glad that you want to do that. You say, why is it that I stray away from God, but I know that I'm what I am doing is wrong? Bible says all of we like sheep have gone astray, every one to his own way. And that's when you come back to him and you ask him to forgive you and to help you. You pray about your temptations, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Jesus told Peter when Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. So you watch and you pray and you grow and you mature and we will not be perfect until we are in our heavenly bodies. And anybody who tries to say that you can be, you know, sometimes they're just laying a trip on you and they are lying on top of that, all right? So, um, sorry we don't have more time to talk more about this very important question. Kyler, um, I would love to be able to talk about it again. Um, I will get this um, chat log from uh, Keith a little bit later on. And I'm looking to see if there's any other questions that are given here. Any questions that I didn't get to, I'll use these questions for the first one. I've got another question that we had a while back that I had to answer quickly as well. Maybe I'll look at this one. Um, I see you got a follow up there. Um, yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, let me, you know what? I'm gonna cover this on Saturday, Kyler. I'm gonna, I'm gonna address this question you've got and your follow up question on Saturday. And uh, when Keith sends it to me, I'll I'll make that the first question uh, that we're covering. All right, so love you guys. God bless you. Stay close to Jesus. Uh, Watch, pray. search for him. I'd love to have you guys join us as we have our service that will start in an hour. I'll be teaching in about an hour and 20 minutes going through six verses from Revelation chapter three. We're making our way line by line, verse by verse through the book of Revelation. All right, so we'll see you guys later on. God bless you. I am out.